uh, over the next several weeks, uh, by God's grace, uh, Lord willing, we will be uh, covering the attributes uh, of God. So we'll be looking at some attributes kind of throughout the year, uh, different attributes of who the Lord is. Uh, tonight, uh, we're going to get maybe a little bit of a general overview on what attributes are and how we should think about them. Uh, and then we're going to think about the aseity of God. The aseity of God. So a nice light topic for a Wednesday night. So uh, I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 3, beginning in uh, chapter 1, chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, um, and then I'll pray. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take, off, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at, at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters and I know their sufferings and have come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the uh, Hevites, the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have seen, also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? But he said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? And they shall say to them, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Father, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you for uh, big ideas of, of theology. We pray as we think and we study about who you are, uh, your uniqueness, uh, your eternality, uh, your self-existence. We pray, God, that you would just help us grasp the, the beauty and the grandeur of how you are transcendent far above us, that you are the, the great I am. We pray that we would, we would know that even more tonight, and that would cause us to uh, worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, A.W. Tozer, uh, in his book, The Attributes of God, says... What you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so who we think God is, uh, what we think God has done, is the most important thing about us. 
Uh, I was talking to a friend today about the Christian worldview versus the secular worldview. And uh, this person is not a Christian, and he would maybe affirm the, the secular worldview. And I just, I try to convince him that he wants to have a consistent way of viewing the world, that the Christian worldview is the most logical uh, worldview that there is. Um, and, and my understanding of, of the, uh, the aseity of God or the, the self-existence of God and how we deal with this grievous sin in the life of a believer, the life of, of, of a non-Christian, I can make sense of those two things because of who God is. And I would just ask, I'd ask this person, can you make sense of it in your secular worldview? Why do these things happen? When we start thinking about who God is and, and what God has done, understanding who God is rightly as, as, as revealed in the Word helps us, gra- grounds us to think about everything in this life. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. When we think about um, this idea of the attributes of God, just generally, um, we want to know that these attributes reveal who God is. There is this difference between the, the nature the, the, or the, or the, or the, um, the essence, uh, the, the isness of God, and, and the nature, what God is like. And I'm going to use those interchangeably, the, the essence and the nature. I'm going to use those in, in, interchangeably to describe uh, the, very, the very nature of, of God. Uh, but as, as I begin and talk about all the attributes, I'm, I'm not going to be talking about the Trinity during this message or even any of these messages. But when I make, uh, uh, talk about the aseity of God or the self-existence, they mean the same thing, or uh, self-sufficiency of, of God. Uh, I'm talking about the Father, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, and I'm talking about the Son. Uh, all the attributes of God are always part of God. It's not like a, a, take, take a pie and like there's a sliver of the aseity of God and a, a sliver of his holiness and a, and a sliver of his omnipotence or his omnipresence or omniscience. Well, no, all of the, the circle is, is colored in with his aseity. All of the circle is colored in with his holiness. Like God is always his attributes. So God is love. God is wrath. Those are, 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 are co-exist at the same time in the Father, in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. All those things make up who God is. God, you can't take one piece apart away from them and, and have it be God. Well, I'm speaking about the Son here, or I'm speaking about the, the Spirit here. No, all of it is speaking about God, because God is, is one. And there is only one God. Just going to give you a few verses of Scripture as we, we begin. Uh, uh, Exodus 15, uh, this is the beginning of call of Moses, we go to Exodus 15, 11, after the, the defeat of the Egyptians, the parting of the Red Seas, where the, the sea came down and fell upon uh, the, the soldiers. In, in Exodus 15, verse 11, uh, Moses cries out in song, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like, like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in, in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Uh, the beginning is, is, is no one's like you. There, there is no one like you. Uh, Psalm 71, 19, your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You have done great things, O God, who is like you? Who is like you, God? Uh, Isaiah 43, 10 through 12, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God has, was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and, and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. The next chapter, Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, I am the last. 
Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and say before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. So we think about how God describes himself. God describes himself as unique, as the only one uh, in the world. There is, there is no God like him. There is, there is no other God. He is God alone. And again, this, the, the isness or, or the nature of what God is like, again, I'm using those uh, synonymous, synonymous. It's a big word. Um, I was talking when I was in, in Puerto Rico, and there was a word I couldn't pronounce in English. Uh, I was struggling trying to talk in Spanish while I was there, and I couldn't get words across in English. And they looked at me like, you have a hard time with that word? Yes, I have a hard time with that word. Um, anyway, that was, that was free. Um, uh, so there's really two, two categories or two buckets when we think about the attributes of God as we begin. There's the incommunicable attributes and there's the communicable attributes. Uh, communicable is that which communes or that God communicates those with us. He passes those along to us. So righteousness, truth, goodness, and mercy are, are things that we can possess in, in, in a small measure. We can have compassion. We can have a degree of, of, uh, of mercy, right? a gr- degree of, of love. Now, we can't have that all in ourselves because we're in our fallen state, but God shares those with us. But we also have incommunicable, right, which, which are set aside for God and God alone, his, his infinity, uh, his eternity or eternality, his self-existence, which we'll look at tonight, his immutability, the fact that he doesn't change. So we're going to kind of look at these over the next uh, several weeks. So with that introduction, as we think about the, the attributes of God, that the attributes are communicating all of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit, that they're communicating of the one God, and there is no other God. <clears throat> Tonight we're going to be looking at the aseity of God. The aseity, it's A-S-E-I-T-Y, uh, which just means self-existent. Uh, it means that God doesn't need anything from any. One. <clears throat> now, I think it's important for us to learn hard words. So you're, you're, you're welcome. The aseity of God. Um, Herman Bavick defines it that God is whatever he is by his own self or of his own self. It's what we kind of got to in, in Exodus chapter 3. It begins where, where Moses sees this bush that is burning and yet is not being consumed. Then normally when you have a fire in the backyard, what happens? You, you, you put kindling down and you light the fire and guess what you have to keep on doing? You have to keep on putting, you know, firewood in the house. Just ask Keith Doster at night. He's got to keep on putting that fire in his heater if he's going to heat the house throughout the night. Well, the bush was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. And notice what the text says. It was a great thing. So Moses came near to it. And out of a bush that wasn't burning, a fire that was self-existent, it didn't need any kindling to, to burn, God called out from that bush to communicate who he was. And Moses asked God, well, who should I say that the people of, to the people of Israel that you are? He says, I am. I am who I am. Tell them that I am sent you. Now, in the Hebrew here, I am means I was who I was. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. You could, could translate anything in one. God's basically saying is, I don't need y'all. And I don't need anything else in this world. 
I'm far, far, I'm far above it. Um, so we, we see this in, in Scripture uh, throughout. Uh, Psalm 50, uh, 7 through 11, the Lord says of himself, Hear, O my people, I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or your goats from your folds. Now hear me. For every beast of the forest is mine, a cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, all that moves in the field is mine. Now oftentimes when we read this verse, we, we talk about how God's going to provide for us. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, right? We look off in the distance, God's going to provide for me. But what he's saying here is, I don't need your sacrifices. I don't need your, your offering. Because all of it's mine. I created every single molecule on this planet. I don't need anything from you. This is actually where uh, Paul gets the same idea in Acts chapter 17. So in Acts 17, 24 and 25, Paul writes, or speaking to the Athenians, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So when we start thinking about the aseity or the self-existence of God, how comforting is it that God needs nothing from us? God has, has created the world. He's created every, every bird, every, every, every frog, every, every lizard. He's created, he's created chicken for us by God's grace, right? He's, done, he's, he's created us. We belong to him. Everything is his. Now, in, in those days, the gods were looked at that the people had to appease them. So the people had to work and do certain things in order to make God happier, to satisfy God's wrath against them. So they, they sacrificed idols or they, they did certain things to make God, God happy. And as we've been thinking through the book of Romans, what we've been saying is that we are justified by faith, not by our works. We can't appease God because of our labors. We, we have to believe that God has provided for us what we need. Now, yes, we can give God glory. We can give things back to God, but we only can give back to God what he gives to us. This is why often when our deacons pray our, our offertory prayer so, so faithfully, what do they say? We now give back to you what you have given to us. Everything that we have given, gotten in this life has been given to us by the Lord. And he doesn't need anything from us. How freeing is that for the Christian life? That God doesn't need anything from you, but he freely provides things for you so that you can give back to him in, in glory. Psalm 93.2, your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. God's throne is, was always there. Daniel 7.13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came like one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days. Ephesians 1, before the foundations of the world. Titus chapter uh, 1 verse 2, long, long ages ago. Even really, the Bible begins this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that gives us our worldview right off the bat. God is the creator of heaven and earth. But what does that say? In the beginning, God. God was before the beginning. God, there was nothing, and God said, let there be. God does not need this world. So you may, your, your children may ask you this. Mom, Dad, what, where was God? What was God doing before 
he created the world? God was being God. God doesn't need anything in this world to make him more God. If this world passed away, God is still God because God needs nothing to be himself. God always existed perfectly in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and, and Spirit. So in the beginning, God. So God was there before the foundation of the world. Now that's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around because we only understand that there's a beginning and there's an end. We can't understand before there was, there was God. That's hard for our minds to conceptually understand. We know there's a beginning and those, there's, there's an end, but before that, there was, there was God. So and this is the, the way John begins his, his, his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and through him not, was not anything made that was made. So really, John 1 is saying that Jesus Christ is God, and God is self-existent. God was before the world. Jesus Christ has always lived as the eternal Son, right? The Father, the eternal Son, and the Spirit have always existed even before the, the, the world was, was made. Now, that's important because someday someone's going to knock on your door and they're going to try to convince you that Jesus Christ was not eternal, that he was not with God, that he was not, he was not God, but he was a God. We don't believe Jesus was, was, a, was a God. He would believe he was the God, right? He is the only God. He's one with the Father. So this, this is important for us to understand who God is. What you think about God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the most important thing about you. So God is outside of of time. God is, you know, we, I've said this before, but we like our, we live our life as if our line was a, uh, uh, think about a pen. So can someone throw me a pen? Grant, you can throw me, oh, let's see what you got. Jason? I got no words. Um, so, so, so we have, we have this pen. I think for us, we own, we're on this, we're on, this is our life, right? So we're on, this is our, the beginning of our life and the end of our life. We can only look ahead, right? Now, we don't know what's coming, right? But we know who holds our future, the song we just sang, Because He Lives, right? So we, we know what's ahead. We can look ahead and we can look behind. But that's all we know about time because we live in time. And yet God looks at this timeline like this. He's not bound by time. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. He knows what, he could look anywhere he wants. And because he created time, he could enter into it whenever he wants, which he often does to, to, to do things for us for his good, his good pleasure. And I think this, this is important for us to understand because sometimes we feel that our lives are, are chaotic. And because we feel our life is chaotic, and I'm not sure if you've ever felt this, I wish I had more time. I had more time to do that project. I had more time to clean the house. I had more time to do these certain things. Why? It's because we're limited we're human beings. Every time you sense that I wish I had more time, you need to stop and pause and say, I'm not God. And be okay with not having enough time because you're limited. You're not going to have enough time to do things. Man, how freeing is that? How freeing is it that you know you can't do it all? It's okay to be overwhelmed. Why? You're not God. And when you try to do it all, you're basically saying, I can be. And that's very dangerous for us. So just use the sadie of God and the fact that he, is, he created time. So before there was time, there was God. God had this world that started, and this world will have an, have an end, right? And then God will remake the world, and we will live on with God for 
everlasting. We'll have everlasting life, eternity. Our lives will never end. Um, I heard this in my prep to today, and I thought it was great. Um, uh, G. Campbell Morgan uh, was the pastor of Westminster Chapel before uh, D. Martin Lloyd uh, Jones, and uh, an older uh, lady came up to him uh, and and just after speaking about the the bigness of God and the transcendence of God, something like I'm trying to do uh, uh, tonight, and she came to uh, G. Campbell Morgan and said, uh, "Pastor, is it okay uh, for me to bring small things to God?" He's talking about all these the bigness of God, how He's creator of the whole universe. Like, is it okay that God? I bring my little things to God? And uh, Morgan replied, uh, I only take small things to God. I'm sorry. The lady said, I don't only take small things to God because I don't want to worry him with the big things. And Dr. Morgan replied, lady, anything you bring to God is small. Just think about that for a second. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed with that thing in our life, but we understand the bigness of God and we look at him for how, how powerful, mighty, and how self-existent he is, that he needs nothing, that everything is his. Oh, that's not that bad. That's a small thing for God to handle. Remember, even as I began, the, the Egyptians were charging at Moses in the Red Sea. There's this, this army rushing towards them. There's this sea in front of them. What am I going to do? Okay, that was easy. I mean, it's the Lord, right? Like this, is, this seems like a huge insurmountable problem, and God fixes it like that. Why? Because he's God. He is God. Romans 11, 33 through 36, a great way to, to end. I want you to just go there, Romans 11. Uh, I'm going to preach it very briefly now because uh, when we go through Romans, I, I believe uh, uh, Pastor Victor is going to preach this text. Makes me cry. Uh, Romans 11, 33. uh, uh, Paul basically just unpacks all the beauty of the gospel, the first 11 chapters of Romans. And this is kind of like his summation after thinking and meditating about how we're justified by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, how God wants to save people from all nations. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are your judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? And who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? That's a rhetorical question. No one. No one has been the, the counselor of God. This is kind of the, the seed form of what, what, what God said to Job, right? You know, Job was, 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 was struggling with what happened to his, his family and his health, rightly so, until God says, let me answer you like a man. Were you there when I created this world? Were you there when I, when I put the, the rock badger in its place? Were you there when I put the, the lightning in the sky? Were you there when I set the, the foundations of the world? Were you there? No. You're God. I'm just a man. This is what, 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 what Paul is saying. And then he says this great climax. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. What he's saying there is that from all things come from him. Or another way of saying it, nothing in this world does not come from God. Everything is from his hand. I'm sure you've heard that, that story uh, about you know, uh, God talking to an atheist and saying, hey, we, we can do the same things that, that you can do. And you know, God, I can, make, I can make a man and 
you know, out, out of dirt just like you. And, and you know, so the, the atheist grabs dirt and starts to, and God says, get your own dirt. Because you, you, only God can create then ex nihilo or out of nothing. Everything comes from his hand. Everything. But it's also through him. He sustains and upholds all things. He upholds the world by the, by, by the universe, by the word of his power. Everything in this life could go away in an instant, but God holds it together. You know, how many times have, have I heard in recent days of the trials that are happening in our church, people in this body who says, I don't know how people make it without the Lord. Why? Because we know God is holding us up. God's going to carry us through this. Why? Because he, he, everything comes from him. All things. All things come from his hand. And, he, he, and through him, all things hold together. And to him. Listen, all things were created to him for his glory. Your life, your eyes, your hands, your feet, your breath, your home, your car, your job, your kids, all that was created for the glory of God, for his glory, for his glory. Now the challenge with us is that we forget that God is self-existent, that God is the ultimate one who all things come from and he holds things together. And what we often do in our, own, in our sin is that instead of trusting the will of God, we say we have a better will. We want to take God's glory and, and claim it as our own. We want to do things in our own way. We, like the people of Israel, are trapped in our slavery, slavery to our, our sin, and we need to be reminded that there is a God who is I am. And friends, that's what the Lord Jesus called himself. The Lord Jesus talked to his, his people, the crowds, the disciples, and he said, before Abraham was, I am. This is why when you read the, the Gospel of John, in seven different times, it says, Jesus says, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. Why? Because he was from the beginning. And this one who says, I am the good shepherd, did what? The, the eternal son laid down his life on Calvary's cross. So you and I who reject the, the bigness and the aseity, the self-existence of God, he says, I will give you what you can't give yourself. I will give you salvation. I will take the wrath of God in your behalf so that you can make it back to glory. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did in his death and his glorious resurrection. So now you and I, although our lives have an end date, in this world, if you know geometry, there's a, there's a point that we begin, but if you're a Christian, there's a point that will never end. Because God says, he sent his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, I pray that you would understand the aseity, the, the self-existence of God, and therefore be encouraged to know that your life in this world will end, but your life with God will never end. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your love, your mercy. We thank you that, that you are self-existent, that you 
need nothing from us. And yet you have provided everything for us. We pray that we would live as if that's true. In Jesus' name, amen.